0: Well, here's something that I think I need to share with you, and I don't think I've ever shared this with you before, but I am a college football junkie. I absolutely love it, and so just to let you know what I did on Saturday, I watched them football. By the way, I'm an Alabama fan, so I got to watch them play and watch them win. It was a great day. But that's just one thing I love doing. Maybe you were doing the same thing, but whatever it was that you were doing this past weekend, I hope you had a great weekend and I hope you enjoyed your weekend. It's great to be back with you today. This is David Carnes and this is the podcast that we call Time in God's Word. And today we are just continuing now to walk through the Gospel of John. We are in chapter two. And we are at the very beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus, you remember he began his public ministry at the wedding in Cana. There he worked his very first miracle, turning water to wine. But now, after the wedding, we find Jesus in Jerusalem, there at the Passover celebration. It is there, by the way, that Jesus takes his public ministry from that little village of Cana to the largest city now in all of Israel, that would be Jerusalem, and it is there that we are going to see Jesus work yet another miracle. But again, this time he does this in the midst of thousands. And remember, by the way, the theme of the gospel of John. Let's be reminded of this. The theme is Jesus is God. And there are really two ways that we see the deity of Jesus proven throughout John's gospel. One way is through spoken testimony, the words of people that speak of the deity of Jesus. But then the second way that the deity of Jesus is proven is by the miracles that are worked by Jesus, Jesus doing only what God can do. And so again, we saw a miracle in Cana. And again, now as Jesus is in Jerusalem, we will see another miracle, this time as he is at the temple In Jerusalem. So I want to get us right into the text. Again, we are in John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. There are four points to look at. And so today, we really have just time to look at the first two points. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus making his way to Jerusalem, and then we're going to look at the insincerity of the people. But starting in verse number 12 today, again, John chapter 2. And so Take your Bible, if it's close by, and let me get us into the, into the text now as we spend time in God's Word. Now let me do this. Let me get us into the text. Let me just say, by the way, too, there are four points we're going to bring out today. If you are a note taker and you want to write down the, the title of this message today at the top of your piece of paper, you can write this down, The Righteous Response of a Holy God. That's the title of this message, The Righteous Response of a Holy God. All right, four points. Here's number one. Point number one in all this is, we'll call it the walk to Jerusalem. The walk to Jerusalem. We see this in verse 12. We also see it in verse number 13. And this is really a part of the text that lays out the scene for us. So you look at your Bibles again, verse number 12, this is what it says. It says, and after this, now this is a reference to after the wedding at Canaan. After this, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And so we just stop there for a moment. Jesus, he heads for this city called Capernaum. Now, this would be about a 20-mile walk from Cana. Capernaum, by the way, a city located somewhere there on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It no longer exists, and so there are guesses as to where it actually was, but... Southeast, or I'm sorry, northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. The city, by the way, would become the headquarters, Capernaum would become the headquarters of Jesus's ministry during those three years of his ministry. Jesus, by the way, would work many miracles there in that city. But then we look back at verse number 12. We see who is with Jesus at this time. His mother Mary is mentioned, his brothers, they are spoken of as well. By the way, now let me just say this. This is proof that Mary was not a a perpetual virgin, that Mary did have other children other than Jesus, and we're told that right here. Also, let me bring this out as well. And as we look to see that, okay, the brothers of Jesus are mentioned here, Scripture tells us something very interesting, and that is during the ministry of Jesus, His brothers did not believe in Him. Scripture tells us that. John chapter 7, verse 5 tells us that. For not even his brothers believed in him, is what it says. But then also in verse number 12, we are told that the disciples of Jesus, they were with him as as well. Those who, by the way, did believe. I, I would think, by the way, as well. And I'm just, I'm throwing this out there, but I would think that this would now include a few people from that wedding at Cana, don't you? Maybe a few of the servants that were there and saw Jesus turn water to wine. And so we have the disciples, but they've all made their way to Capernaum. And the text again says that they stayed there for a few days, which now takes us to verse number 13. Look at it. In verse number 13, it says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, went up to Jerusalem. So what does Jesus do? Along with those who were with him, It says that Jesus, He leaves Capernaum, He heads for Jerusalem. Something here that I just want to touch on, by the way, and that is this. There are some who will try to make an argument with a verse like this, and watch this now. There are some that will try to make an argument that a mistake has just been made in Scripture. That an error exists now in Scripture. And that is because you ask, okay, what is it? You notice where it says, that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You see that there written. You look at a map and you see that Jerusalem compared to Capernaum uh, actually is 40 miles south of Capernaum, it's south. And what people will argue is if Jesus went up to Jerusalem, then that means he would have walked north. Here's what we need to understand. But what needs to be noted here and pointed out here is what's being spoken of is elevation, not direction. You hear that? It's elevation, not direction. Listen to this. Capernaum is actually 700 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. And so as Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, what's he doing? He's walking up. He was going up the terrain. And so again, there's no mistake, no error in the Scripture. But Back then to verse number 13, the text goes on to tell the reason that Jesus was making His way then to Jerusalem. And what was it? The Passover was taking place. You see that in the Scripture. Passover. This annual feast of the Jews, which was then followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These feasts, by the way, that God had mandated. You ask, when did He do all of this? Well, what does this speak of? Well, we could really go back to Exodus chapter 12, that final night that the Jews were in Egypt, and God implemented the final plague, that plague in which there would be the death of the firstborn, and the angel of death would come, and for everyone that placed the blood of a lamb over their doorpost, then the death angel would do what? The death angel would pass over. In the Hebrew language, the word that's used there is the death angel would actually jump over but Passover and that then would allow the firstborn in that home to live. Also at the same time, the people were instructed to eat a meal And this meal would include unleavened bread. The reason it was unleavened is because they were leaving the next day. They didn't have time to prepare bread with leaven and watch it rise and all of that. It had to be unleavened. They had to be prepared quickly to leave, so no leaven in the bread. But the blood over the doorpost, remember, at the Passover, out of Exodus chapter 12. Who really does that point to? It points to Messiah, doesn't it? It does. It points to Jesus. It points to the blood of Jesus. Jesus on the cross giving life, giving deliverance from divine judgment to anyone that would come to Him by faith. Jesus dying for the sins of man. This is what Passover would point to. And again, the Passover, it was implemented, the Passover implemented in Exodus chapter 12. But then we fast forward to the time of Jesus. And it is time to celebrate the Passover. Again, this feast that God mandated that Israel would keep and that Israel would observe every year. And so Jesus, listen to me now on this, Jesus always being obedient to the Father, always being obedient to the Father, to God's Word, always, as Scripture says out of Matthew 3.15, fulfilling all righteousness, what would He do? He would make His way to Jerusalem to do what? To observe the Passover as instructed by the Father. By the way, just let me include this. But we see Jesus at the Passover in Jerusalem. We see Him there at the beginning of His ministry, but then also note this, we will also see Jesus at the Passover in Jerusalem at the end of His ministry as well as He goes to the cross. And at both times, listen here, at both times at the beginning of His ministry and at the end, we see this, but we see Jesus implementing the same exact action. And what I mean is at the beginning of His ministry at Passover, He clears the temple and then He does the same thing at the end of His ministry, Matthew chapter 21. And then in between, we see Jesus at the temple for two other Passovers. We see this in John chapter 6. We see it in John chapter 11. But just note that. Keep all of that in mind as we do walk our way through the Gospel of John. But again, when we look at verse number 13 of our text, Jesus making His way to the temple at the front end of His ministry. He's going there to celebrate Passover. But then with that said, understand this, and that is He's also going there, and hear me, He's going there to do the Father's business. That's what He's going to do. Which now takes us to verse 14. And point number two, here's point number two, write this down. Point number two is the insincerity of the people, the insincerity of the people. Now, this is point two. We see this in verse number 14. Again, you're looking at your Bibles, but this is what verse 14 says. It says in the temple, he, and again, that's a reference to Jesus in the temple. He found those who were selling oxen and sheep. Pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now, this is an interesting scene. But this is what Jesus found when he arrived at the temple. And before I actually get into this, let me just attempt, by the way, if I can, let me attempt to draw a picture of the scene at the temple. At this time of Passover. But first of all, let me address the number of people that were there at this time. And we'll start this way. But Jerusalem itself was a city with a population during the time of Jesus of somewhere around 100 to 300,000 people. That was its normal population. But then during Passover and then during the week-long feast that would follow, it has been estimated that as many as 2.5 million people would make their way to Jerusalem. Now, again, that is an estimate. That is an estimate that has been given to us By the historian uh, Josephus, a historian who lived during the time of Jesus, 2.5 million. Now, let me just say this. Some have questioned that number. Some believe that might be high. Some believe that a better number is around a million. A million people would make their way to Jerusalem during Passover. But whatever the number was, we have to admit there were a lot of people there. (laughs) A lot of people there during Passover. but Now, understand, but as the people would arrive, what would they do? Well, they would make their way to the temple. That's why they were there. And it would be at the temple that the people would bring their sacrifice. That is what they would do. And so at any given time, there would be thousands, and hear me now, there would be thousands, and there would be thousands of people at the temple during the Passover. Thousands of people. But now with that said, You also notice that the text tells us that in the temple, there were found those selling animals. You see that in the text. Not only that, but there were also people changing out currency. That was taking place. Now, with that picture set, also let me bring this out. And that is, it has been estimated that at Passover, there could be as many as 200 and 50,000 animals sacrificed on that one day of Passover. And when you, you study this, you find out that the, the, the sacrificing of the animals, they began at 3 in the afternoon, and it all ended by 6 in the evening. And let me just add this quickly, by the way, with, with that just given to you. I find this interesting. We're told in Matthew chapter 27 that when Jesus was nailed to the cross three years later on Passover, that He died at the ninth hour. The ninth hour, that is three in the afternoon. So the true Lamb of God, He would die when the Passover lambs would begin to be slaughtered at the temple. The true Lamb of God. The thousands of animals are slaughtered on the day of Passover. And so that then takes us back to these vendors selling animals and to the money changers that were there at the temple. And we ask, what are they doing there? I mean, what is their purpose? And the answer is, at one point in time, these vendors, they started out providing a very legitimate service and that was they would provide animals for the thousands of pilgrims that were making their way to Jerusalem. And understand this, but for the most part, many of the people had to travel great distances, many of them coming from different nations, and to carry an animal would have been very difficult. So they knew when they arrived in Jerusalem, they could simply purchase an animal there and then take the animal to the temple for sacrifice. And so again, it's believed that at one point in time, this was a very legitimate and sincere service that was being offered. But now what eventually happened was this service that began as legitimate, it eventually turned into something in which the people were taking advantage of the pilgrims. Selling animals, for example, at exorbitant rates. But then also what began to happen was for those that actually brought their own animal, they began to find that their animals would always be denied due to so-called blemishes. And then they would be forced to purchase an animal there at the temple. The animals of the people were just never good enough. And they began to find that out. But then there were also the money changers. We see them mentioned. And remember that the people came from all different countries with all different currencies so they would be forced to change their money in order to purchase an animal. And of course, what began over time, that is the exchange rate increased more and more until it became simply unfair. And so again, the people were then being taken advantage of in that way. But then one final item in all this, and that is these vendors the money changers as well. At one point in time, they actually conducted their business outside of the temple grounds. They were not located on the temple grounds as they are in this text. When they first started, they were off the temple grounds, but now they've moved on to the temple grounds and at this point they are set up in the part of the temple that is called the courtyard of the Gentiles. That is where they were located. And and hear me on this, but what some believe is there actually came a time that the high priest got involved in all this and the high priest decided to get involved in making money and so for the high priest, so he could fill his pockets, he moved all the business onto the temple grounds. As a matter of fact, all of this selling, all of this purchasing that was now taking place on the property of the temple site became known as the Bazaars of Annas. Annas By the way, the high priest of the time or at the time of Jesus, the bazaars of Annas. And so just to try and and paint this picture for us, but at, at Passover, there would be this sea of people, hundreds of thousands going to the temple and understand that many were there to sincerely worship. Many were there to sincerely pray. They were there to sincerely praise God. But then in the middle of all this, there is this insincere operation taking place an activity right there in the midst of God's temple that was not about God at all, but was about lining the pockets of greedy people. That's what it was about. By the way, and let me just say this, but I can remember over the years, and this has happened on more than one occasion where someone has come up to me and they have said to me that the church should never sell anything. You know, um, sometimes you do see a church that actually has a store. And you can go into that store and they may be selling Bibles and they're selling other items. Let me say this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Just as long as what? Just as long as that church isn't selling items and at the same time cheating the people. Just remember that. I mean, there's a difference here. But at the temple, those vendors, they were cheating the people. They were being dishonest they were being greedy they were taking advantage of the people their minds were not on God their minds were not on worship their minds were not on honoring God and living for him and and praising him but again their hearts and their minds they were on themselves they would say that they loved God they would say that they honored him with their lives but their hearts and their actions proved different hear me their hearts and their actions proved different But then with that said, and just one more stroke of this brush as I try to paint this picture at the temple during Passover, and and that is with all the people there, and again, how many? At any given time, hundreds of thousands. Understand that there would have been the temple police that were there. Uh, The temple police were a standard there. They were always there, but they would have had a presence. But then not only that... Not only the the temple police, but the, the Romans would have had a presence there as well. As a matter of fact, the Romans had actually built a fort called Fort Antonia right next to the temple. And it was located high above the temple so they could always watch what was going on there. And if need be, they could dispatch soldiers in a matter of minutes if things ever got out of hand. But there would be the temple police, there would be the Roman soldiers close by. And I just share that, I I share that for you to hold on to as we simply go through all this because you'll want to remember that. But the picture being drawn the Passover, the temple, the masses of people, the insincerity of the people. So what a scene. I mean, Jesus there in the midst of thousands, the temple always packed during the time of Passover, and we see Jesus there, His disciples with Him, and then we see what was taking place there. How over time, God's house, the temple of God, it was overtaken by people, not there to really honor God, but people there to line their pockets, thinking solely about themselves and having no love for God or for others. It's really just a sad scene, but that is the setting as it is set up for us but now next time when we come back we're going to see the response of jesus and through this response we will see yet another miracle that john shares with us a miracle that jesus works something that only god could do but that is going to be next time and i so look forward to seeing you again again just walking us through this wonderful text and this wonderful book, The Gospel of John, as we spend time in God's Word.